Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over... Oh, God, I can't see. Over, it looks like 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Crystal. Hi. All right. Can you guys hear me all right? Yes. Hi, my sponsor's here. <laughs> I'm speaking. Can you believe it at Light a Candle? Uh, my name's Crystal. I am a, a grateful, compulsive overeater. I want to thank Susan for asking me. Hi. Hi, everybody. I want to thank Susan for asking me to speak. Um, you quadrupled my step work for the day. You'll see that later. Deva, because... Um, you know, when I am asked to speak, I was I was taught very young, I was raised very young in this program, that you don't say no to an OA request, but um, when I'm asked to speak, it really makes me confront my disease, you know, and, and I have the disease of you're not enough, so you need, you know, outside things and um, my first thought when she asked me luckily she asked me several times when I was out of town so I was like yes this is God working in my life and um, and she asked me finally and uh, I was available and as soon as she asked me I said yes and um, you know it made me confront my ism isn't there someone more qualified people want to hear a good speaker um, if people get to know me they're not going to like me you know, self-centered fear, selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, afraid. And the fact is that um, I've had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps. My top weight is um, 304, and uh, not 304 anymore. Um, I'm maintaining a, a weight loss of about 140 pounds right now. I'm maintaining. Uh, my higher power and the principles of this program have uh, relieved me of 140 pounds, and you know, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I've got pictures going around. If I'd known I was going to have a spiritual experience, I would have taken more pictures of 304. <laughs> but, you know, got a few there. Um, <laughs> um, but anyway, what it was like, what happened, and what it is like now, um, I think I was born a compulsive overeater. No one in my family is a compulsive overeater. I think I wasted a lot of years wondering why. I'm going to look at the clock because control is in, it's one of my character defects. It has not been, yes, it has not been uh, completely alleviated, but in my first six step, I was willing on that day to let it, to let it go, but it's struggle. Anyway, so um, no one in my family is a compulsive overeater. I think I wasted a lot of time wondering why I'm bodily and mentally different from my fellows. And at this point, like, I don't, you know, it's not a Marvel movie. Like, I don't care about the origin story of my disease. I don't care. I just want to treat it. And, um, yeah, so I grew up in um, two parents, you know, I guess what somebody would consider an idyllic home. I've always had a lot of friends, always felt like if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. You know, like I was always 
for whatever reason, on the other side of the glass, watching, even when I was participating. And, um, and food made that feel better. I grew up in a home where it was very much, and you know, some of this is, is maybe just being, you know, an upper middle class black woman in America. What the tools that work for my parents are different for me. You know, like, um, you were taught that you had to be, you had to work harder than everybody else. You know, that you had to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, your ancestors cried enough. Be grateful, be grateful. You know, like gratitude, like weaponized, you know, like that's how it is. And so I didn't learn how to necessarily feel my feelings and I didn't learn how to ask for help. That's still something that, you know, is something that I'm working on. I have always had anxiety and, and fear. Which, you know, the big book told me is just part of my disease. I always thought something was wrong with me. And, you know, the, the big book talks about how, you know, fear, our lives are shot through it, like thread, like, which, I don't know. I'm, I love the big book, the 12 and 12. I love our literature. I think it's so imagistic. And the idea of me is like a quilt and all of this beautiful thread going through it that's fear, like, that resonates with me. So, um little story. So I remember my whole family, we were sitting around, um, I think I was like nine, nine, ten, and we were watching 2020. Remember 2020? I don't even know if that's still on. But we were big 2020 watchers in the family. Then we would discuss. And it was like anxiety, the silent killer. Dun, dun, dun. Watching and I'm watching. And I'm like, that's it. Daddy, sweet chocolate. That was my dad's my nickname for my dad, Sweet Chocolate. He was the color of bitter sweet chocolate. I gave him to him when he was two. That was daddy's nickname. So I was like, Sweet Chocolate, listen, listen, listen. That's it. I have anxiety. Ta-da! I have anxiety. Everyone in the family, I have anxiety. And my father was like, shh, shh, shh. Black people don't get anxiety. Stop it. You know, so like, you know, my sponsor wonders <laughs> why it's such a struggle to ask for her help, you know. Um... So, you know, I grew up in a gated community. It was like woods, 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 with miles of woods, and then shopping center. And when I was doing my first food inventory, I thought about the fact that I would get up on a Saturday morning and pack a lunch. And I would walk like four miles one way to a fast food restaurant. And, um, and you know, I envy my fellows who were like, I knew I had a problem young, and I was this, and I... I had no idea I had a problem with food. And I would have neighbors and friends where they're like, wow, Crystal's hiking every day. She's so healthy. And, you know, eight miles once a week to eat alone. And I mean from the time I was like seven years old. One, that's a lot of loneliness. That's a lot of isolating. And, um, and you know, I think one of the reasons I didn't realize I was a compulsive overeater is because I was walking eight, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter what, I mean, at that age, it doesn't matter what you're putting into your body, what volume. I've always been uh, a volume compulsive overeater. I think I was born a hundred pounder, although my hundred pounder-ness took, you know, well into adulthood to manifest. But, you know, it, what I was doing to my body did not, it didn't manifest in weight. So I'm going to fast forward because I need to get abstinent because we're all here for the solution. You know, we know about the obsession. And um, so, you know, food was a lubricant through my life. It made 
me able to feel like you. It made me able to tamp down my fear and um, connect. And it worked for a really, really, really long time. And, um, you know, uh, 13 and a half years ago, my sister got really sick and they didn't think she was going to make it. She, by now my, my binging is, is, you know, I'm binging every day. And they were like, look, she's not going to make it. She may do a double lung transplant, but you know, this is it. And my disease took off. And, um, within like a month of that news, I was having like two breakfasts, three dinners. By this time, my life, you know, I was working my dream job again, that didn't fix me because a job doesn't fill a God-sized hole, a God, you know, a job doesn't heal the spiritual malady, which I have. And, um, I could not stop. My life was this big. For the people listening, I'm making a really tiny gesture. Like, my, my life was tiny. And, um, and I put on 150 pounds in a year. So the secret was out of the bag. You know, what my problem was. I thought that food was my problem. Turns out food was my solution. You know, this is, this is uh, an inside job. And, you know, I'm, I'm really, really um, grateful to food. I feel like food um, made it possible for me to handle pain with no tools. And, and the food finally, you know, was my solution. And it turned, it, what does Bill say in his story? He's so, I love Bill's story. So I, if you hate literature talk, get out. No, <laughs> it's coming. But, um. But he talks about how, you know, it turned on him and cut him to ribbons. And that's what the food did for me. It, it, it turned on me. It cut me to ribbons. And, um, you know, I had a normal day. I went to the three fast food restaurants I went to. And as I pulled up into the last fast food restaurant, there were cars. And they saw me. And they were like, yeah, they knew my order. And I was like, okay, where is this going I have to do something. And I went home and I Googled um, uh, bariatric surgery, which I have no opinion. You know, we have no opinion on outside issues. That's what the traditions say. Um, but I was, I was, you know, Googling, um, I was Googling uh, stomach surgery. And I don't have any memory of ever having heard of, of Overeaters Anonymous. And... And a little voice, not like literally a voice, but like just a voice in my consciousness was like, why don't you try OA? I've never heard of Overeaters Anonymous in my life. I don't know where that came from. And I said, okay, I'm going to do that. And I walked into um, 100-pounders, still there, Thursday, Westchester, 100-pounders meeting where I feel like my life began. And um, I walked into the room, and first I was like, what? I thought this was a 100-pounders meeting. Because I saw a lot of happy, shiny people, and I saw a lot of people who were normal body weight. So I was confused. But um, I was desperate. I didn't have anywhere else to go. So, you know, I sat down, I listened, and the only thing I can 100% remember from that meeting is... You never have to come, hearing somebody say you never have to compulsively overeat again, even if you want, even if you want to. And I was like, whoa, wow. So, um, 
you know, type A person that I am. I was like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make this work, which makes me think of Bill. When you look at Bill and his story in the big book where, you know, he was such a can-do guy. He was, he was a guy who had ambitions and he was going to sit at the head of vast enterprises. And, you know, he had all of this ambition, all of this get up and go, all of this hard work. And that didn't keep him sober. And so, you know, all that ambition, all that hard work, all that can-do-ness um, is not why I'm abstinent. You know, I'm abstinent because, um, you know, I, I followed some clear-cut directions, which hooked me up to a higher power. And I have a higher power who is, you know, taking care of my problem on a daily basis, you know, contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. Anyway, so um, I asked, like, the first person. There was a guy in the front of the room speaking, and I was like, he must be, like, the president. He's, you know, I want, like, I need somebody important to sponsor me. But, you know, delusion. Like the book says, we're in full flight from reality. Um, I felt that I needed somebody very important to, to take me through this process. And uh, that wasn't the right sponsor for me. But... I was watching. Now, that being said, I took direction. He said, let's just assume that you're a sugar addict. I'm not a sugar addict, you know? I'm not. And I was like, okay. I was in, I was, I had the gift of desperation. I was willing to do absolutely anything for my life to change. I just wanted a, the tiniest amount of relief. I didn't know, I hadn't heard the promises, and I didn't know that that's what was on offer here. Anyway, so, and there was a woman in the side of the room I would always see. She was always really kind to me. Her name's Marcy. Um, I hope that she hears this. And, um, and I'd heard her story. So I know, and I'd seen her photos. So I know that she ate the way that I ate. And what I saw was somebody who exuded so much love. And she was comfortable in her skin. And she seemed to be, she spent a lot of time helping people. And I was just powerfully attracted to that. I would like to say that the sponsor that I have now um, is a woman that attracted me in the same way, that she wears her recovery like a loose garment. And when I, when I speak to her, I'll be like, here's the thing. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, where's God in this? You know? Like, what I get from, from people who are working a program, I find, is a loving, simple way to live. And life's not so scary, you know? Anyway, so I asked her to sponsor me, and she said, okay, you know, get a big book, get an AA big book, get an AA 12 and 12. And I can't remember if we worked out of the OA 12 and 12. She's kind of old school, so I don't know if we did. Great book. And we, were, we went through the book, word by word, line by line, and we started the preface, and I was like, we're reading the preface? Who reads the preface of any... I don't know if I've ever read a preface in, like, the history of my life. I was like, you know, I was today years old, the first day I read a preface. And, and she said, yeah, this is a book that was written, I guess, 90 years ago now. They have... They've changed like three or four words. Now the stories they've they've expanded to reflect, you know, our fellowship, but they changed like three or four words in this book. And every word is important. 
every paragraph leads to the next paragraph. And one of the first things that I, and I do this in every big book. I've like big books like littered throughout like purses and, you know, because this is, this is, um, this is my handbook for living. You know, this isn't just about food. It's about my life. Anyway, but one of the first things that she pointed out to me is very important is in the forward to the first edition. And I'm going to say Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm a believer that the ism is the ism. The disease. You know, me as I am, it's not enough. I need something outside of me to make me okay, you know. Um, so it's we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered, recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show other alcoholics precisely how we've recovered. And that's in italics, which I was told if it's in italics, vitally important. So to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. And she like laid some stuff on me, man. She was like, here's the deal. You have a progressive fatal illness. Oh, I can't curse. Um, (laughs) You know, I was like, wow, not what I said. You have a progressive fatal illness. Um, You know, it is of a physical nature and it's you know, it's, it's, you have a physical allergy and you have a mental obsession. Now, I've been going to meetings for a few weeks now saying, I'm a compulsive overeater, I'm a compulsive overeater, but I didn't have any understanding of what being a compulsive overeater was. And she explained to me that I have a body that when I compulsively overeat, and I know we have, you know, our disease shows up in a myriad of ways. You know, some people, bulimia, restricting. When I have, when I exercise my unhealthy relationship with food, the phenomenon of craving is, you know, ignited, and I can't control what's going to happen. You know, when I get started, I can't stop. But I also have a mind that, um, I have a mental obsession that will always talk me back into the first bite. And I was like, well, geez, (laughs) you know, it's a lot of information. But she told me that this book will outline, hi, this book will outline the problem and it's going to give me a solution. She said, you know, you have, you're bodily and mentally different from your fellows. You have a progressive fatal illness. Over time, it it only gets worse. It doesn't get better. And as you'll hear in my story, that's my experience. And um, the only thing that is going to, the only thing that is going to arrest your disease is a spiritual solution. And I was like, okay, you know, some good news. And the spiritual solution is the program of the 12 steps, which is outlined precisely in this book. And, you know, you hear a lot of things, and this is my opinion, you hear a lot of things about, oh, take what you want and leave the rest. And, you know, and, and, but when I read this book, I see exactly, precisely, specifically. And I know that my disease is um, a monster. It's huge. And so I was afraid to kind of deviate from any of it. I thought if I did absolutely everything precisely that maybe I could lose 20 pounds. Do you know what I mean? Like I wasn't, like when I read the promises, like I just skimmed all over that. Like fear of people leaving me, um, like all of that, that, that my whole outlook upon life would change. Those were concepts that were way too big for me. So anyway, the mechanics of... 
you know, she helped me with the food plan, which for me was very simple. She had me write uh, green light, yellow light, red light, which was like I wrote down green, the the foods that are just food to me. They're not magical. They don't. They don't. They're not a substitute for love or self-esteem. They're just food. And yellow light foods that like mm, you know sometimes they whoop my ass. Sometimes they're okay. Like in between. Oh well, I apologize. You know, and and red. The foods that are, you know, to this compulsive overeater, the food equivalent of crack cocaine. When they go into my system, I'm off and running, and life gets really dark and really small. And so, so I wrote that list, and, you know, I, I brought it to her, and she's like, okay, I feel like you could fill this out. And I wrote this really exhaustive list, and I was like, oh, you know, I got, I'm going to get an A in this. And then she was like... Okay, ask God to relieve you of the obsession of yellow and red. And I was like, so much terror. So much terror and anger. And I really had to, um, I really had to, uh, I I feel like I, I really understood my disease on a different level because my first thought was like, this is all I have. This is, I need this to live, you know? Like, how am I going to get through life without X, Y, Z? And I told her, I was like, I'm terrified. I don't know if I can do that. She was like, you know, you probably can't. Why don't you go home and get on your knees and ask your higher power to help you do it? I don't expect you to do it. And... um, you know, I was like, well, that's an interesting idea, not thinking it would work. And and I think that it made me confront that even having heard that this is a disease, I thought I was greedy. I thought that I, I wasn't exerting, you know, enough, um, I wasn't exerting enough um, self-control. I can't even remember what it is. <laughs> I wasn't exerting, you know, I there was so much self-hatred and so many lies that and miss, I had a lot of misinformation about my disease. You know, I'm not a compulsive overeater because I'm, I'm greedy and because I'm immoral. I'm just bodily, mentally different from my fellows. Like, you know, it is what it is. And, and I have a disease. And I have a disease that the treatment of my disease makes me better. It makes me a better person than I was before. Like, you know, there are a lot of diseases that people have. And like, I have a disease that the solution for it is living life by spiritual principles. Like, that's amazing. And that I get to pray for people when I'm angry at them. I get to write a resentment inventory, and I get to find my part. You know, I get to be, like, I get to be the hero in my story, and there are no villains. Like, that's rad. So I went home, and I prayed, and I was like, God, please relieve me of the obsession of these foods. And, um... You know, that was it. I was struck abstinent. I lost, uh, I gotta, I gotta move it forward. I lost 100 pounds in like nine months and I got to my ninth step and I started balking, you know? And I started to work the fellowship, not the program. This is the fellowship. I love the fellowship. But the program of Overeaters Anonymous is in our literature. It's, it's the, the steps, the concepts, the traditions. That's the program. I had started to work the fellowship. And um, 
you know, I'd already decided I was not going to meditate because I'm not a Buddhist. You know, I'm still a, I don't need that. You know, I started to take what I wanted and, and leave the rest. I'd started to do that. And in the first step, I conceded, okay, I'll concede that I'm powerless over food. But the whole life is unmanageable thing, I don't think I'd really admitted that. I don't think I'd really admitted my life was unmanageable. And so I was turning my you know, my food over to the care of God, but was I turning my will in my life, my thinking and my actions? No, I wasn't. And as soon as I hit normal body weight, I diagnosed myself normal and I left. And uh, the weight came back right away. I think like, I think I put on like 120 pounds in like six months. The obsession came back like a forest fire and I could not get back for eight years. I could not get two days of abstinence for for eight years. And, um, you know, uh, a little under two years ago, I started praying. I was on a business trip, you know, for a job that I'd like prayed. And I'm in another program. I I know it's like I was 10 years sober in the beverage program yesterday. So, yay. But anyway, um, but I had less than two years in this program, you know. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think that... You know, the literature talks about rigorous honesty, and I think that there is a, for me, that there is a deeper level of self-honesty that this program, and courage that this program requires, at least from this compulsive overeater. The roots of this disease are so much deeper, and this disease covered up so much for so long that when the food was relieved of me, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm emotionally immature. Like, as an adult, I'm having to learn how to deal with fear, how to deal with rejection. You know, not relearn, learn. Because I've always had food as a buffer to my feelings. And and anyway, so I started praying. You know, I was just out of ideas. You know, I was just... Um, Get me absent again or kill me, God. That's where I was at. I'm just, I'm just, I was away on a business trip for a job that I had done all this contrary action for, and it was going to fix me. And I was there. My sweet mate was one of us whose disease incredibly is, was e- the manifestation of it was even larger than mine. And, um, and I just started praying. And I found a meeting online since I was out of town. It was called... It's called the OA Hour of Power, and it is a big book study that happens once a day, although there are always replays, you know, and and I started, um, and they read a paragraph from the big book of the 12 and 12, and then everybody shares on just that paragraph. You know, it's not one of those, like, I'm just going to check in, you know, and it's just like... That is on my 10 steps so much. And I'm just like, it's not a hotel. You know, I can hear my first sponsor is like, we share experience, strength, and hope. You know, we share the message, not the mess. And, you know. Um, <laughs> and, um, and it was people sharing a real solution. People who were having a spiritual experience. And I was struck abstinent again. I found a woman in L.A. that I could send my food to. And, um, you know, my relationship with God started growing again. And, but I was not working the steps. And, um, I mean, I'm, I'm in another program, so I was working the steps in another program, but the, you know, what is it they say? Like the, the credits don't transfer. Very true. And, um, 
and um, you know, the weight started coming off. I was physically abstinent, and um, the job ended. I was out of town for like five months, and I came back to town, and things got really dark, really dark, emotionally, and the food started calling to me again, and I could feel myself. Ooh, I could feel that. Um, I could feel that I needed to. Well, it says, you know, like, I needed to fully concede to my innermost self that I was a compulsive overeater, which I hadn't done before. And if I fully concede, thank you, to my innermost self that I'm a compulsive overeater, um, then I have to take certain steps. What does that mean to fully concede to my innermost self that I'm a compulsive overeater? It means I take the first step, and there is a program of clear-cut directions that are going to lead me to a spiritual experience and a relationship with a higher power that'll solve the problem. And I saw a woman that I'd seen around for years and, um, and I asked her to sponsor me. And she has. And, you know, this week has been really, really interesting. My, my sister-in-law, my, who is like a sister to me, is in hospice. They gave her a month to live. We thought she was getting better. They gave her a month to live. And what I've been doing is hiding. You know, I've been hiding. I've been going to work, doing my writing, not sending it in, and kind of doing what I used to do in my disease, disassociating. I disassociated with food, but in recovery I can disassociate. And, um, yeah, my higher power is amazing because my sponsor is right here. You know? And uh, now... I can get honest with her, and I've given some what felt like very big situations to her. And you know what I got? Take the next indicated action. Show up with a kind heart. Take the next indicated action. Turn it over to God, and it'll be okay. And it has been. And I know this will be. And um, if I end, does that mean people can ask questions? Um, just very grateful, compulsive overeater. If you're new, talk to us. We'll help you. Thanks.